everybody. Welcome to Recovery Machine. We're going to try something a little bit different here today. Since we had such an amazing experience talking to Maya Salovitz, we'd like to do a reflections episode where we go over the questions and take turns kind of bouncing back and forth with ideas and thoughts that came up during the uh, the interview. And uh, maybe we might even pose some more questions as we go along. But um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we'll just, we'll go through our list, talk about how she interpreted the questions, how she answered them, and uh, what that meant, and what we can learn. So the first one was kind of a, a personal question, and I love the way she answered it. But I think for for this exercise, we're going to do uh, start with question two, which is the one that I asked about where she had the paradigm shifting experience when she was 23, I believe she said. And uh, so she was, she was deep in, in the fairly severe drug addiction, uh, chronic use of drugs and uh, suffering consequences, going into withdrawal and somehow managed to look around and have a moment of clarity. And uh, what were your thoughts about her response there on that one, Corey? things well i mean first of all I, I was intrigued by her um really questioning or, or challenging the the term rock bottom which I, I i think we have challenged it it's a term that i think is falling out of favor mm-hmm. but um the way she described it was really poignant and that it, it um you know had she have gone back to to using and and had she have relapsed or or worse then it there would have been no bottom there. It's just sort of a perpetual experience that continues to happen until you get yourself out of it. Yeah. Um, so it made me think of myself there too. I would, I would put myself in the same category. I don't know about you, but I think that that whole thing about bottom, there are many moments that are sources of shame that are sources of uh, regret for, for individuals, whether they're facing addiction or not, right? Like that's not exclusive to an addictive behavior to have shame and regret. <laughs> Or no. to have a moment of clarity or to have a moment where you kind of start to make sense of things or start to have a, uh, if you want to call it an epiphany or realizing what you need to do. And mm-hmm. it's just whatever it is that gets us to that point. Uh, and then what we do with it, that is what matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've never understood that, uh, that position or the term or the, whatever you want to call it, uh, that type of paradigm where you have to hit a certain point of, you know, you're of low in your life before you can make a change. It never made any sense to me. Uh, for, I mean, for one thing I've learned through this process of whatever this is, this life, this existence, everything that you do, every experience that you have, there's always a worse version of it. And there's always a better version of it. And there's no, there's no exceeding, uh, there's no such thing as reaching a limit as far as how bad things can get, unless mm-hmm. you're dead, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. But the idea that that you reach a point that, that is so brutally uncomfortable or whatever that you, that you can't, uh, you, you just decide that you can't live this way anymore, it just, it never made a whole bunch of sense to me. What I liked about her answer was that it was, in line with what we know about uh, cognitive development. So she said that 
because she was 23, she, she supposed that maybe she'd reached a point of, you know, her prefrontal cortex was developing. It would, it had reached a point where she was starting to get that adult executive function. So she could look further, see more options. And even in the state that she was in, you know, it, it allowed her to see that she didn't have to live this way. And uh, I, I mean, that's, that's a very sensible answer. The, uh, as far as the, the science of it on a, you know, a nerve by nerve scale, I'd love to see a functional MRI, you know, when somebody mm-hmm. was, was having one of these epiphanies, that would be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I like the way she answered the question. And uh, I think it was uh, an interesting one because it did bring up the, the question or the, the idea of rock bottom. Yeah, you know, and I think we're going to get into this discussion a little bit more as you and I continue talking today, but I want to just add, because it's so much on my mind as I reflect on this episode, how it is about learning and how about how we learn a behavior that works or helps us to cope with a discomfort that we're experiencing, a discomfort in our own skin, a discomfort within our environment and how we're relating to our environment. And we develop a relationship with that substance that helps us to, to cope with that environment. But then that is also what the recovery part is about, that we're relearning how to cope and we're developing a pattern of behavior to, to cope with our circumstance, to, to survive. And that's why I think, you know, the discussion about abstinence, and I I don't say abstinence in a sense that, of, you know, that it is a moral superior thing, but just that approach of like learning to get through an urge or get through a day without a substance that we were leaning on. Every time we get through that, we are learning how to cope. It's not that you're better because you avoided the substance, but it's actually giving your brain the opportunity to figure out how to, how to do it. Right. Yeah. You're literally, uh, you're forming new pathways in your mind that, that didn't exist. And you have to, as anybody who's had any kind of nerve damage knows Nerve, nerves can take a while to uh, to come back, and depending on its the length of or duration of use and the substance involved, you know uh, we know with post acute withdrawal that can sometimes take years. I mean, hopefully it wouldn't take years before you start to see options. I don't think that's the case, but it does yeah. take time and it takes effort. So just stopping whatever you're doing, and and, and I've done this before where I thought that the I thought that the drug was the problem. I removed the drug from the situation and then just I thought, well, I'll give myself a little while and everything should be fine. And then was confused when it wasn't. But that's because I didn't do any work to to uh you know make that neuroplasticity uh have uh, give that neuroplasticity a chance to form. Yeah. You know, I I remember when I met you and it was very close to like the 90 day mark for me and uh i was having experiences where i was where big emotions were starting to come back and particularly like where laughter was coming back where i was Mm -hmm. laughing like i hadn't laughed in years like laughing really really hard Mm -hmm. and uh and i and i think that it was that it was the work i was doing but it was also that length of time that had afforded the brain enough my brain enough time to to kind of start to to relearn some of that and re-experience some of that stuff. Yep. And the science backs that up. 
uh, 90 days does, we know it's a lot more effective. So uh, you know, the, the parts of the brain that are involved in the, the, these pathways that are learned and then focused over time onto one motivating factor, whether that's a drug, gambling, sex, whatever it is, it takes time to form that, that super highway. And then it takes time to break that super highway down and form little roads that go elsewhere. Yeah. So 90 it, days seems to, uh, seems to be the start of that anyway. The other thing, going back to, to, to Maya, um, that age of 23, like you said, where that, that's really kind of where the brain becomes kind of an adult brain, so to speak. It made me think of myself and thinking, well, I was so old. I was much older than that when, when my relationship with hydromorphone started. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had marijuana use started in my, in my teens and in reading unbroken brain, I think th that's where the, the learning aspect of it yes. was that it wasn't just a, for me, marijuana wasn't just a, a, a social, a social drug, but I can remember times in my teen years where I was already learning it to be a coping mechanism and learning it to be a, um, like where secretive behavior came out or where, I, you know, excess behavior came out or where I would use it to navigate a difficult situation. Absolutely. Like, I think I, I, I give you an example of, of, I was reflecting in, in the, the chapter in, in unbroken brain about the myth of the addictive personality. And we've done an episode about the addictive personality and mm -hmm. thinking back to when I was sort of 16 or 17 years old, I would use marijuana with my friends socially and have fun with it, mm -hmm. but then starting to become uncomfortable with the social setting of high school and with some of the pressures of high school and, and starting to use it before high school, before, you know, before I would start my day mm -hmm. and then I used it before prom. And I didn't use it openly with friends before prom and like a hanging out, having a fun way. I used it in, you know, in the shower as I'm before I'm getting dressed because mm -hmm. I needed to cope with the social pressure of, of that situation. And I think that's sort of the, that was where before I reached that sort of executive functioning stage of, Say, say 23 years old i was learning the use of a chemical to cope with a pressure absolutely yeah and uh because we know that that i i think that it's the 14 and 15 year old like that seemed to be for me when i was most um i was really searching for relief that was a difficult time for me i, I was very sensitive to my environment, I was, you know, I just, I really was not comfortable in my own skin. You know, I was having trouble figuring out how I was going to fit into the the scheme of, of high school and stuff. I think I had some strategies that were, that were getting me through, but I was, you know, I, I didn't like this, the wild swing of it. Like it was, you know, one day would be good. The next would be horrible. And it was like being on a roller coaster ride uh, the whole time. And then when I started, I started uh, experimenting with alcohol. I, you know, I had already experimented with alcohol, and that that provided uh, some comfort. But marijuana specifically, or cannabis specifically, was a lot like what you're talking about. As far as it just made high school so much easier because yeah. high school is such a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> I mean, you you got to get up in the morning and go to this place where there's like 10 million 
other people who are just as uncomfortable as you <laughs> and everyone's trying to figure everything out. It's uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's uh, like, and I had a, like I had a pretty easy ride through high school in comparison to, to lots of kids, but same. I, uh, I just, I mean, we, I found a few buddies who liked to smoke and that just became our, I think for, by the time it was, uh, I was in grade 10, it was chronic. Like you you get up in the morning before school, we'd go out, get high, come back. And then, uh, you know, at some point we would probably leave school early, get high again, go home. And then at night we'd do it again. So we'd had like, it just became a schedule that would basically, it was a good way of, um, not having to deal with all the nonsense at school and you're having fun. You're, you know, you're, you're kind of enjoying yourself and you can sort of forget about the guilt of, you know, not doing what you're supposed to be doing at school, but it's all stuff that, that regardless of the substance you're using, it's the, the idea that I can reach out and take something and that will solve the problem. And Mm -hmm. I, I agree that for me, that I learned that early. I had a lot of, uh, I mean, I have a lot of genetic reinforcement there and I had a lot of, uh, people that I really looked up to when I was young who were very much using these same strategies. So, you know, it's, it's no surprise that I eventually ran into trouble. Yeah. It's, it felt to me after, after, with, after talking to Maya, reading the book, thinking back to that stage of my life, the leap between that high school behavior and my adult behavior, it doesn't seem so vast anymore when I think about it. No, it's really not because I, I think it's just a, it's a spectrum, right? I mean, I went through periods of time in my early twenties where my priorities shifted. I was, uh, you know, very into competitive sports that required me to be uh, training hard for, you know, a period of time. And, and I would abstain from everything. I wouldn't, you know, I was very careful about that and not, I didn't even think of it in those terms. I just wanted to be in the best physical condition so I could compete. And, you know, sometimes there, there were a period of times where I was too busy in school. You know, I, I just, I couldn't, you know, smoking cannabis would have not been the best way for me to succeed in school. Um, and it just, you know, kind of faded away, but the, the memory remains in that, that pathway, that learned pathway of, finding something external to soothe the pain inside that's mm-hmm. that remains and i think if you we know what happens in early childhood if if a coping mechanism is found early that worked at that time it can reemerge much much later as a as a coping mechanism that no longer serves you